0: Greetings and welcome to the New Books in Media and Communication podcast. I'm your host. My name is John Sullivan, and I'm coming to you from Muhlenberg College here in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I'm one of the co-hosts of the New Books in Media and Communication podcast channel, along with my colleague, Dr. Jeff Pooley. On today's podcast, I'm pleased to welcome David Brake. He's currently teaching at McMaster University, and he's the author of a relatively new book called... Sharing Our Lives Online, Risks and Exposure in Social Media, which was published by Paul Grave MacMillan in 2014. Uh, David's joining me from Toronto. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Let's get right to the focus of your book, right? Uh, You're concerned with the amount and types of information that individuals share online via social networking sites, but in in some, why do you think we should be concerned about this you know what are the risks in your mind and how serious are those risks
1: well one of the arguments uh, in my book is that we uh, don't focus sometimes about the right risks and we overfocus on some other risks that are marginal i mean uh, when we when you talk about uh, online risk and exposure people's minds tend to jump uh, immediately to teenagers and they tend to jump immediately to cyber predators. Now, I'm not saying by any means that there are no cyber predator risks. Uh, and I wouldn't uh, say that uh, teenagers are, are not at risk either. But I would say that we um, we are all, uh, anyone who's using social media and increasingly that means almost everyone up to retirees and beyond, are exposed to risks. And uh, most of them are nothing to do with um. Uh, cyber-stalking or um, bullying, they're to do with more everyday things like um, endangering your job or um, endangering your interpersonal relationships.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think that's in- inevitably part of the technology themselves? Or is it simply how we're using the technology? We're choosing to share too much whereas the technology could be used in a way that would minimize those risks.
1: Well, I think that, that, that you touch on an interesting point, which, which I also develop a little in the book, which is that uh, we tend to then leap straight to um, blaming the user um, saying, well, kids today, particularly, oh, they, they reveal too much. Uh, why are they, why are they like that? Um, when, This doesn't happen in a vacuum. There are, uh, for example, the technology itself, the ease with which you can share uh, is itself an important contributing factor. But it also takes place in a milieu where um, technology companies uh, and marketers are encouraging us to share. And and the word share is itself a loaded term. Uh, We don't say um, reveal Uh, stuff about yourself, we say share and sharing is is, bound to be a good thing, right? We all like, we all love to share, share with our friends. Um, So uh, I'm, uh, and and one of the other nuances that I, that I'm getting at in the, in the book is that we all share with an imagined audience, which isn't the same as the actual audience we have. We picture an audience and we do so based often on very little data. So uh, we, uh, and sometimes uh, we, the, the audience we picture is nothing to do with the audience that we actually have. Um, so for example, there are people I know uh, in, in my study of webloggers who put stuff up online that is available because it's not password protected, it's available potentially to anybody in, in, on the internet but they said to me that they felt as if they were talking to themselves now. Um, but that's because their audience is in their heads. Um, it's not it, in one of the ironies of course, is that on the internet, it's very easy, uh, or often easy, particularly if you're using it commercially to find out exactly, uh, how many people are listening to you and even break them down demographically and so on. But, um, on social media, uh, I don't see that happening a lot unless you are a professional who thinks in those terms. If you're not a professional, if you're an ordinary person, then um, people tend to talk to uh, people they imagine are listening, which is often uh, turns out to be the people who they more or less would wish to be listening Um And that's that's problematic.
0: And that's a fascinating, I think that's the really fascinating part where you talk about this sort of imagined audience that we all have an imagined audience for things that we're doing or saying online. So do you think that in part, and you have a lot of really uh, interesting explanations in there for why we may um, make mistakes or underestimate perhaps the size of the audience for some of the messages that we might Uh, post online through any kind of social media or even just on a website, uh, on a blog somewhere. But do you think that bloggers or social media users perhaps subscribe to a kind of strength in numbers theory? So they think that there are so many people blogging, posting updates on social media on the web that there's essentially blends in. It's a drop in the bucket and who would notice us anyway.
1: That's certainly something I've heard. Absolutely. Um, And that, that may well be the case except for um, when somebody starts to look for you specifically uh, or when something you say is picked up and recirculated by somebody who has a much larger voice. And suddenly um, those comments that were initially meant in one context get taken and read in another. And one of the, one of the things that um, I'm struck by um, and is that, what you post on social media is getting uh, thinner and thinner. Um, We're down to 140 characters. We're down to single images or um, video clips of a few minutes and something like that. um, When seen in a stream by people who know you may be seen in one light, but when seen isolated, an individual becomes something else can, can be misinterpreted very easily. Um, And people tend to, internalize the idea that they're talking to people who know them uh, because after all, that's what we do uh, every day, but that's, it's social media for a reason we, we see ourselves in, in the context of a particular social connection and we're not seeing face to face, the people who we're interacting with, we have to have a mental vision of the people we're interacting with. Um, and we aren't seeing each individual tweet uh, or each individual picture as an isolated thing, uh, which can then be pulled out and recirculated in an entirely different context. Because it's impossible for us to predict the con- the context in which our stuff can be recirculated these days.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think that's also related to some of the ways in which our personal data are mined for profit online by companies like Facebook and Twitter and others that actively market to advertisers and other outside parties the ability for a fee, of course, to provide very detailed information about the users of their site to break them down into demographics and even to individual posts to basically resell your private information?
1: Well, I think we uh, we don't know enough about where this is going. Um, I think one of the... Um, I don't know whether to be more frightened of the prospect that the data miners could be right and could actually come up with an accurate picture of, of who we are, or the equal possibility is that they may think that they're right and are actually wrong. Uh, And then you get stuck with a label that uh, is inaccurate and follows you around. But it is, but it's definitely the case that um, you can do yourself untold harm through your social media interactions without ha- having any idea that you've done so. Uh, I saw something recently saying that, um, Facebook has patented an algorithm, uh, when, one of the, whose purposes is to establish your credit rating based on the kinds of people who are in your social network, which, um, is, I suppose it, it as a, at a technical level that might actually be feasible, but, um, is that, re- do you really, is it really fair? I mean, do you really want to be judged, uh, as on your credit rating based on the people who, you know, uh, It strikes me as a, as an open invitation to, um, to discrimination of various
0: kinds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was uh, interested to read in your analysis. Uh, you have a, a really interesting chapter called why social media are, are different. And in that discussion. Uh, about why so many people use social media in potentially risky ways, uh, you rely really heavily on the theories of Irving Goffman, along with some others uh, scholars mm-hmm. uh, that talk about that. What specifically about Goffman's analysis struck you as important or relevant to the study of social media?
1: Well, um, I, I'm not the, I'm not the only one by any means. A lot of people have have used Goffman uh, in this way. Goffman's work was primarily situated in face-to-face interactions, and he talked about how uh, we interact with other people, uh, judging uh, their reaction to us, and we, they, they judge us, and we, we make our uh, discussions, we, discuss, we talk with people uh, based on the situation we feel we are in, sometimes we talk to people as if uh, we are uh, backstage, where uh it's a more of a private conversation with intimates or front stage where we are addressing a broader public one of the ironies of uh, social media is that we often seem to be addressing a public but with a backstage kind of voice and that's one of the things that i was trying to get across uh in the way we um goffman talks about things again generally uh in a face to face mode where we know where our audience are uh He's less often uh, talked about how things are when you are in a mediated communication where you don't know uh, who you're talking to.
0: I think you have a, there's, there's a point in here where you uh, bring in some of the work that you did, uh, I believe in the UK, where you conducted a study of bloggers uh, about um, and use that as some of the basis for your observations and inferences about social media What did the bloggers who you interviewed say about that? You have some fascinating quotes in there in some ways that seem rather contradictory about what they think um, the, this private versus public distinction. on the one hand, they seem to know that there's this distinction is being blurred. On the other hand, they seem perhaps either uneducated about it or maybe rather blase about it.
1: Well, um, I've heard people have said things like, well, I knew it was all public, but I didn't expect anyone to read it. Um, people have said, um, I mean, it it does vary. Uh, obviously people who are concerned about their privacy online, I was talking to people who had had personal weblogs that weren't password protected or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, people who are concerned, they may not have had, they may have put passwords on their sites. Um, I was talking to people who had revealed stuff, which um, one of the criterion was that they revealed things that people would consider to be personal on their personal weblogs. Um, so I'm in a sense, selecting for people who are less cautious uh, in the way that they behave. But um, well, I had people saying um, uh, and, and curiously um, I would have people saying, I didn't expect anyone to hear me. I, I, I was talking to, and for myself. And then they would get comments back because, um, one, one example that was particularly striking, somebody wrote a magazine article about how to set up a weblog. And so must've been aware that at least the readers of the magazine were going to come and take a look at her blog, but nonetheless felt that it was a blog for herself, um, and that she should feel free to say exactly what it is that she felt like saying. Um, And then she was surprised to get responses. And then um, she kept on in the same vein, almost as if she uh, put to one side the actual responses she got and chose to turn her back on the reality of the audience because she was getting something from having an outlet that she felt she could use for her own
0: purposes. That's fascinating. Was that fairly typical of the bloggers uh, with whom you spoke in the UK, or was that something of an outlier? And everyone tended to be a little bit more cognizant of how their blog was being read or used.
1: Well, I think that I think you're, you're drawing a false distinction here. She was cognizant of how the blog was read at one level. I mean, I think all the people who I spoke to were kind of aware that their blog was, in principle, visible to everyone. It was how they. Um, how much they under, how much they bore that in mind as they spoke, and even how much they shut it out of their mind um, as they spoke. So uh, there's a there's a di- there's a distinction being drawn between the actual audience, uh, the audience that you can perceive, and the audience you choose to perceive, and 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 they're they're not necessarily all aligned. And and I didn't find that there was, I mean, my sm- my sample was in any case. Uh, it was a qualitative sample, so it's impossible to generalize. Um, what I tried to find was simply a variety of different approaches people were taking. And and uh, yeah, there were some that I felt uh, were surprising, like the one I
0: described. Mm-hmm. So it seemed to me the people who you were interviewing as part of that project were something like you described yourself to be at the time that you did the interviews. More of a blogging as either a kind of hobby or something that you do for your own self in your off time. It, in other words, it's not your day job, so to speak. It is no, uh, no, no,
1: and and if it were if it were their day job, I I would expect them to be much more focused on uh, what is this post accomplishing for me? What audience am I reaching deliberately? Uh, how successful is it is? Is it providing a return? Um, but that was much less. Uh, their, their focus. And I would argue much less the focus for 90% of the people who use social media in any capacity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But of course there are people who are looking at, um, what return can I get from, uh, using my and other people's social media postings? Uh, it's just that the people who are out there in social media don't often think about that as the objective of the people around them.
0: Right. They're almost approaching it as a form of interpersonal communication when it certainly is that, but simultaneously it's also a form of mass communication, or can be uh, in some instances, right?
1: And, and, and of course, it's a form of interpersonal communication that is mediated by organizations who have particular agendas. Um, so uh, the way that uh, Facebook is structured, um, or at least uh, Facebook's business imperatives are all about getting you to share more, uh, and to get your, uh, and to control the way in which you see other people's postings in order to get you to, to, to share more and to enjoy your experience more, which isn't necessarily, um, in the, to the benefit of, of yourself or to, to benefit of society. It's to the benefit of Facebook and to the benefit of the advertisers who, who work for Facebook. And sometimes when the interests align, and sometimes they don't, but um, I would suggest most people aren't thinking about that um, aspect as they are posting. And well, I, I, I mentioned in the context of Facebook, but every every uh, social media site has these um, commercial imperatives to uh, to maximize sharing, not necessarily to optimize sharing
0: or to allow users to restrict it in ways that would interfere with the business operations of whatever they're trying to provide to advertisers. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, um, they, they, let's be clear. Um, organizations like Facebook, for example, they make great play of the fact that they provide um, tools that allow you to customize your audience. And uh, that is their response to issues around privacy as well. Oh, you can use this and you can use that. Um, but those tools are not always easy to use, and the way in which defaults are set are very important because many people simply don't go beyond the defaults. Uh, and the fact that the interface changes frequently and the rules change frequently make it very difficult to predict uh, mm-hmm. one, where your message is going.
0: What um, I'm just curious of the bloggers who you studied was there a uh, were there varying ages? Uh, Of the bloggers. And the reason I'm asking is because one of the things that you mentioned in the book is that perhaps through pushing the envelope or the boundaries, as Facebook uh, very openly says it's doing with regard to people's expectations about their own personal privacy, is there a generation gap emerging whereby younger people now have been, thanks to these uh, policies of Facebook, have been becoming more permissive with their own personal privacy in a way that let's say my generation um, I'm in my forties would, I would kind of regard that as reckless. You know, it's
1: really unclear um, whether the behavior of people in teenagers who are teenagers is because of um, that. They're simply using the internet more because they are using internet more. Uh, and therefore exposing themselves to more risk, or whether it's something to do with uh, teenage uh, boundaries. Uh, Traditionally, adolescence in some societies is seen as a a period in which you can uh, experiment with yourself and push boundaries of acceptance. Um, But uh, we have already seen, uh, uh, to answer your initial question, the bloggers I spoke to Range in age all the way up to the fifties. Deliberately, I tried to choose a range of different ages, and uh, again, it wasn't a large enough sample to really be able to delve into uh, inter-age differences. But I did not find any strong differences leap out at me uh, among the 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 twenty-four people I spoke to that uh, the younger people were behaving in a very much in a very different way to the older people. So. And I express I express some skepticism in the book about this idea that uh, digital natives are just wired a certain way or are so comfortable with uh, social media that they that they share more. I think they're they're sharing more because they're using the internet more. But it's but it's not clear that they're sharing more because they are um, less careful uh, about what it is that they're sharing. Um, mm-hmm. I think the jury's out. Jerry's out on that. Mm-hmm. At least it is for me. But I, I mean, that. The, for, for me, the flip side of that is that um, that's not to say that, uh, oh, this is therefore a just a digital millennial, uh, uh, just a digital native issue. And we don't need to worry about it for the rest of us. I think uh, one of the key messages in my book is that we all need to be thinking about this. And in terms of uh, educating the public and trying to encourage better, uh, safer use of the internet. Uh, we need to reach out outside of schools and maybe outside of universities through public libraries and other places. And to talk about internet safety, uh, much less uh, as, uh, safety against, uh, obvious heinous crimes and much more about, uh, just general awareness of your internet behavior and the potential consequences
0: And it would seem to me that one of the challenges there, and this is again, a subject of another one of your chapters, which I found really, really interesting was that there's, there's a different orientation that users of social media have a different orientation to time than let's say the internet does because anything that you are, can you say a little bit about that? I thought that was a fascinating point.
1: Yes. And it was something that, that kind of creeped up on me in the field work, um, was, uh, and I was looking at bloggers in particular, well, all of everything that they blog is archived, um, generally because that's the way blogs work. Um, but so, and it's all therefore equally available to search engines and can be found and can be scrolled back through and read. Um, I talked before about how, uh, stuff can be decontextualized each individual blog posting, uh, no matter how old it is. Appears the same. Um, you can see what the date is if you look carefully. But um, an old blog posting looks similar to a new blog posting, and um, that uh, and that goes against what the way that most of my uh, users experienced their blogging, which was as a um, thing that they were doing at that point, and that uh, a few days. Or weeks later, they had, they, they no longer tended to look back at what they'd done, and they didn't expect other people to look back at what they'd done either. And in that respect, they may well be right. We don't know enough about how people uh, consume uh, blogs, for example, to know whether they do go back through. But uh, it is certainly conceivable that the motivated person or the motivated corporation uh could go back through people's social media postings, which they had essentially um, forgotten about. And you know, certainly in social media, everything you've posted uh, is always there. Twitter has a complete database and is now allowing companies to uh, to access that. Facebook doesn't certainly make it easy to scroll back through everyone's postings all the way back to the beginning of what it, of, of you know years back, but that capacity is there, and Facebook certainly has it, even if. Um, mem- ordinary members of the public would find it difficult to do that,
0: and I believe Google also is busy caching millions of web pages and things like that. So even even things, it's my impression that even things that are within the environment of Facebook can be at least peripherally accessed by Google through a Google search, and you know that the information is there, even if you might not be able to access it from directly from a Google link, say.
1: Well, I mean, if you certainly if you put something up on Facebook as public, um, then it would it would potentially be uh, searchable by Google. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a fascinating the comment, though, that we just we tend to view our interactions with social media as fleeting and momentary, and things that because of our let's say our own offline brains, we assume that things that happened further in the past for us are more difficult to access because they're within our memories they're deep within our memories and that's not how the internet works right because the internet is everything is equally available um it's there's no distinction uh, according to time because of the archiving so i think that's a fascinating it creates a a dichotomy in terms of impressions of time that work that work to the de- detriment of the user right yeah
1: yeah and and it's something that uh we still haven't really come to terms with because the internet and the use of social media is too young but um the in future years we'll we'll be looking back at uh what was norm postings and practices that were normal then that will be potentially um abnormal um in the future um if there was social media back um in the 50s and 60s, we might be looking back now and seeing people making casually racist comments or talking about drinking and driving and doing all kinds of things which at that time were not discreditable, but which with hindsight now are. And the question then becomes, as we have already with the uh, biographies of, of, uh, of famous people and so on, it's like, how do we judge people? Can we judge people? using the standards of our own time or do we judge them but with bearing in mind that they were behaving according to the standards that of the time that they were the example i using in my book is um if today you are boasting about having gone on a, a lovely trip to a far off destination by plane uh would future generations see this as morally discreditable because it was showing a lack of awareness of uh, of climate change for right. example Mm Um, and, and because this stuff sticks around, we don't, it's very difficult for us to anticipate how future people might receive it because we can't, it's difficult for us to anticipate the context. Mm -hmm.
0: And I've seen examples that are much more mundane with someone posting a vacation photo, let's say on their Facebook page on their private Facebook page and someone else, one of their Facebook friends has much more permissive licenses and is friends with an employer Uh, And the worker happened to be on disability and was getting paid for work. But then as soon as they posted a photo from a vacation location, they were immediately fired by their job because they were meant to be on disability. And when you're on disability, you're not meant to go on holiday.
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And this can happen all the time. And um, of course, no matter how uh, careful you might be in uh, how you share things yourself, you, you also uh, in, implicitly have to trust everyone else with whom you're sharing to be similarly careful uh, if you want to um, be sure that things won't go wrong, which is why uh, I and other people have said the only way to have a social media profile that is uh, not going to be harmful to you, that you can be sure is not going to be harmful to you, is to imagine everything that you're posting were posted on the front page of the New York Times. Uh, if you would not be happy with that taking place, you shouldn't be posting it. Um, but to say that, that would make social, using the use of social media very difficult, almost impossible. And I wouldn't want... Um, I In the concluding chapter, I note that for all of the concerns I raise... Um, the focus of my book is on is on concerns by and large, but uh, I want to make it clear that I, I'm not suggesting that social media is going to be dangerous for everybody, or indeed that we should overlook the potential benefits of social media that are already um, very clear. I mean, you get social support from social media. You can it can help you to find jobs as well as um, help you accidentally to lose jobs and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so these things need to be balanced. Um, I, I just felt that, uh, there wasn't enough said about the potential risk, particularly the unanticipated potential risks, uh, the, the lower level, the risk, if you like, that people encounter on a day-to-day basis, but, um, may be unaware of, and certainly that nobody, uh, outside of academia seems to have much interest in, in highlighting. Um, the media will, will highlight in instances of, um, of the individual instances of these uh, risks where people have catastrophic failures and lose their jobs and so on from time to time. But it tends to be, I feel in a kind of dismissive way of, Oh, here's this idiot who has done this rather than looking more systematically at well, okay, they did that. But what was, what were the social circumstances? What were the technological circumstances, which um, encouraged them to make these mistakes
0: so we, I know you mentioned in um, one of your chapters um, in Victor Meyer Schoenberger's book, uh, Delete, uh, which posits that there ought to be some mechanism for users to request that some of this information that is unwittingly stored about them on the web to be erased at some future point. And even the EU is moving forward with... Um, and they've moved forward with a law to force Google to delink lots of information. Do you think that is a potential solution or part of a solution to this problem?
1: Uh, I do think it's, it's something that needs to be thought through. I think that there are a lot of commercial problems with that uh, in terms of the business models of these organizations. And there are a lot of practical problems because of the way in which it's so easy to um, copy Data to and fro, so it might be technologically quite difficult to do. I do think in the end um, the solutions aren't like aren't as likely to be technological as they are uh, to be educational and in the way in which defaults are set for example um, so that um, in the case of social media platforms, if it were more obvious as you post things who your audience might be um or indeed, how how what you post might be received. Uh, that that, as much as anything, uh, controlling the supply is the is the key. I think here, rather than trying to deal with it um, post facto. The example I gave uh, in the book was, if when you post to Facebook, you post a picture of yourself uh, holding a glass of uh, something alcoholic, it is probably not beyond the realms of possibility that Facebook could recognize pictures, say, see that you have a picture of, of yourself drinking, see that your um, age that you specified in your Facebook profile was under the drinking age of the place that you're in, and put up a message to you saying, you appear to be about to post something which is uh, showing you doing something against the law. Is this? Are you sure that this is something you want to do? Or if you use sexual terms and you and the uh, and your mother is among the recip- the potential recipients of that message, a similar message could pop up. Um, those kinds of and they wouldn't be uh, preventing you from using the medium as you wish, but those kinds of gentle nudges and reminders, I think, could make a big difference in the way that uh, social media is used and help um, with some of these. Uh, Difficulties people encounter.
0: Okay, so one of the solutions is technological, right? That Facebook could remind us that, you know, we shouldn't maybe post some of the things that we're posting. Are there other ways to use social media in a safer way? Other, let's say you get uh, asked about what kinds of things people should do or what kinds of strategies they should use to minimize these risks aside from avoiding social media altogether, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I, I would not suggest avoiding social media altogether because um, there are actually significant um, harms that can result from that. If if other people are around you using social media to organize their lives, to find uh, friends, to find potential employees, and you're not part of that, you are, just as Facebook would want you to think, you are losing out Um, and you're losing out on the potential social support. Um, but, um, you should familiarize yourself with the, uh, the privacy controls of whatever site it is that you're using and not for every post perhaps, but for key posts, uh, that have some, uh, potential controversy or emotional heft to them, uh, just, well, one of the things that I've I've heard said, uh, which seems to me a, a good idea, is um, before posting, set your post aside for five or ten minutes. When you and and then come back to it and think, how is this going to be um, read by the people who conceivably could be reading it? How could uh, who is it visible to who I'm not envisioning? Um, and how might it be read in future as well as now? Because this stuff will stick around for a long time. So just um, mindfulness, I guess, in, in, in communication. Um, and, it, and it's tough to do because we see social media as a conversational tool. We don't see it as a um, akin to a written record, uh, something that could be held up against us in court, for example. We see it as a conversation that ebbs and flows and comes and goes and is then
0: forgotten. One of the interesting things, I, I often use the uh, WordPress blogging platform for blogging, and it says on the button before you post, it says publish. And I find that that has a very powerful effect because the verb to publish really suggests publicizing uh, as opposed to the word post. A posting hmm. sounds like a sticky note post and doesn't seem, it seems fairly innocuous even though the effect is virtually the same. And I I often find that before I publish something, I feel a greater sense of weight before I push that button. than, let's say if I do a 140 character tweet uh, or a post, a tweet sounds very innocuous too, but publish seems to sound very serious.
1: Yeah. I think that I had, that's an, I hadn't thought about that, but that is a very uh, useful distinction to make. Yes, I agree. Um, and, um, the way in which postings are are themselves framed, um, the way in which the, the, even the text that is used to uh, encourage you to post—I I can't remember what it is for for Twitter now—but it's something like, uh, "What do you say now?" or "What are you thinking now?" encourages that uh, sense of well, just spout it out, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> you know. Uh, whereas if it was like, uh, "Tell 150 people," Uh, and Twitter and, uh, any corporate, uh, organizations who might in future want to search this, uh, something in 140 characters, you might pause before you, t- before you wrote the same thing.
0: One thing I was thinking while reading your book is that th- the irony that uh, a few years ago, Google perceived this as a, um, as kind of a downside of Facebook, and in implementing its own social media network, Google Plus attempted to address that weakness of Facebook. That Facebook has when it's share share something with one, share it with all kind of uh, motto, and Google Plus attempted with its circles to try and give the user a whole lot more control in a sense about. You could post something to a particular circle, a friend circle, a family circle, and things like that. And just with the click of a button, you'd be much more aware about where this message was going and to have a lot more control over that. Sadly, Google Plus is likely going to be phased out.
1: Well, I think I think Google was addressing a real issue. But what they didn't grasp, perhaps, is that people uh, think it's it's not a real issue to the users because, uh, when they're posting, they are posting to those circles in their heads and in their, in your head is where it matters at the end. Uh, so if you're posting to friends, sometimes you're posting to, uh, your close friends. Sometimes you're posting to, uh, your friends from work. Sometimes you're posting to your friends from another context. You though, generally speaking, make that distinction in your head. You don't go to a a dialogue box in order to make sure that, you ma- that that matches. And as I mentioned in the book, um, managing those circles is itself uh, a real chore. Um, you know, people uh, come in, 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 a, in a lifetime, you accumulate friends, it's much more difficult to say, well, when does this person drop off my friends list? And that's where, you know, in, uh, in among teenagers, for example, typically you get a lot of drama. Uh, about who's in, in what group. And it was more problematic when these things were made explicit with things like uh, MySpace, where you had your top five people and everyone was jostling you know to be in the top five of their <laughs> friends and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it is much easier to accumulate friends and groups than it is to then sit back and prune them and, and think about them. So I think even just in terms of, of cognitive load, people just say, ah, oh, it's too hard. I have I have friends I'm going to post to my friends and uh it'll go the people who aren't who aren't really my friends in that list won't pay much attention to them which 90% of the case 90% of the time will be the case but 10% of the time will be a problem
0: and I think as you said earlier asking to to put on more cognitive load by thinking about what you're posting would be akin to also thinking carefully about to whom you are posting and going through and checking those dialogue boxes would also um, weigh down the cognitive load as well. But maybe that's what we have to do.
1: Well, I, I don't think we can necessarily go that whole distance, but I think that the, the more we nudge ourselves in the right direction, the better. I mean, um, it, people can't and don't read all of the privacy policies of all of the websites that they visit, and um, but maybe looking at a few from time to time... And just thinking about the fact that you don't know <laughs> what the privacy policy is of a particular site from time to time uh, is itself of value.
0: David, I'm curious to ask you about what uh, typically I ask what folks are thinking about as a next step. Well, where do you go from here? What kind of projects are you interested in working on? Are you going to be doing more in social media, for example?
1: Well, um, one of the things that, I, that came out of my blog research was that was this use of uh, blogs as creative outlets for people, that um, they weren't primarily being used as social in the sense of um, communicating with other people, but the existence of those other people at the other end, in some vague sense, uh, the existence of an audience made it possible for people to feel that they were there was a use to their creative activity. So they wanted to be writers in this case, these bloggers, and um, they could write what they wanted and stick it in a desk drawer, um, but that would feel valueless. What made what encouraged them to write uh, on blogs is that they had this sense of, of having a potential audience. And I want to build on that and think about that uh, in terms of um, how people who might become authors, uh, how that process is changing in the digital age. So that's my, ne- my next project. One of the next projects is to look at how um, eBooks and uh, print on demand, the availability of that may or may not be changing who gets to be an author, um, who wants to be an author and what it is that people think they are doing when they and, or want to do when they become an, a new author in this mold, because my suspicion is a lot of attention has been been on um, how a few breakout people go from being self-published authors and become um, regular popular authors uh, that might work for some people, but um, I'm not sure it works for everyone. And I'm not sure by any means that most of the people who are doing this are looking to, to have that as an objective, but it's something I wanted to explore.
0: Fantastic, David. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate talking to you.
1: Oh, it's a it's a pleasure, and I, I hope that uh, in people get something out of my book.
0: I it's got a lot of interesting information in it, and I I, I highly recommend it. Uh, my guest has been David Brake, and he's the author uh, once again of "Sharing Our Lives Online: Risks and Exposure in Social Media," and uh, once again, I'm your host, John Sullivan here at the New Books in Media and Communication podcast. So on behalf of myself and on behalf of my co-host, Jeff Pooley, I'd like to say thanks for listening. Keep tuned in to this podcast channel because we're going to keep coming your way with more interesting interviews with authors in the near future. But for now, I'll say so long.